0: This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Learn With Homer, the incredible learn-to-read app for kids 2 to 8. Using the Homer app just 15 minutes a day was proven to increase early reading scores by 74%. And they've got a special offer for Spawned listeners. Subscribe and get an exclusive two-month free trial. That's normally just 30 days, but for Spawn listeners, it's two months when you go to learnwithhomer.com slash coolmompics. Oh, and welcome to Spawn, a common sense and hopefully fun discussion on parenting and parenting culture. I'm Kristen Chase. I'm Liz
1: Gumbener, and we are the co-founders of CoolMompicks.com. On today's
0: episode of Spawn, we are chatting with family coach Katherine Perlman, who is going to help us all deal with the behaviors, the tantrums, the outbursts that we
1: all love so much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, we may personally not know anything about those, no. but we think they can help you, our <laughs> listeners, with your- your imperfect children.
0: Yep. The <laughs> so are just perfect. <laughs> so perfect. And as always, we will close out our show with our cool picks of the week. All right, so we both have this book. It's called Ignore It, How Selectively Looking the Other Way Can Decrease Behavioral Problems and Increase Parenting Satisfaction or as I'm just going to refer to it as ignore it. <laughs> and let me just tell you, I've been using this stuff last night. We got back from our trip and I've been using it with my six-year-old and wow, it really works and I should should know better. I'm a therapist, so I should know all this stuff. But you know what? It doesn't matter if you're a therapist or not. The book is practical, it's real, it's funny. And the best part is that it's easy to implement.
1: And I think that's very important. And look who loves it, Liz. Did you see? Yes. Some of our favorite people, KJ Delantonia and Jessica Leahy, both of whom have been guests on Spawn. So it's all coming full circle. Yeah, it is. Welcome, Catherine. Yeah, welcome. Thanks. Happy to be with you guys. We're so glad you're here. Oh, we have so many questions. Yeah. As we're <laughs> Because we joke, I mean, I I don't think there's a parent in the world that can't use your book. And by the way, the cover is genius. Yes. It's like a picture of this little girl with her thumbs in her ears making faces and sticking out her tongue. (laughs) We have all seen. So even though it says ignore it at top, it's like you cannot ignore the book cover when you see it on the shelf. Which is
0: exactly what you need. Yes. Let's judge this book by its cover because we've all been there. So just talk a little bit about how this research that you did turned into this approach, which then became your book that really just came out a couple weeks ago.
2: Yeah, so I'm a social worker and a family coach, and I basically help people with all kinds of parenting issues, with my main goal being to help people enjoy their time with their kids more. You I know, mean, we have kids because we want to enjoy them, but a lot of times the behavior is just bringing us down and is taking away from our enjoyment of being with our own kids. So I made home visits for many years and I've seen all kinds of parent problems. But there was one piece of advice I was giving to all parents and that was to ignore it. It didn't matter what they brought me in for. That was always one part of my advice. And so they would say, like, what should I do when he gets up at a timeout? And I would say, ignore it. What should I do when he curses at me? Ignore it. What should I do when he slams his you know, phone on the floor? Ignore it. And I got to see this advice in action and over time how it really changed parents' lives and the relationship with their kids. And so... I decided to write the book. It's really what I would do with a family when I go in the home. It's not just about ignore it, but I also talk about like all the other parenting things like rewards and consequences and how to think about parenting as an overall philosophy. And so it's really like me coming to your house and giving you the same advice I would give to one of my clients. And because I've seen it work over and over and over again, I had lots of anecdotes and stories that I could use for my practice and also for my own family. Because like, as you say, nobody parents perfectly all the time. I do this for a living and I still don't parent perfectly all
1: the time. I love that. I always like getting advice from people who admit they are not perfect. Yes, I will be honest. You. Very it's much. the people you have to worry about who are like, oh, no, no, I do this. And now my kids are perfect. I need everything <laughs> and never have tantrums or throw anything on the floor because I
0: don't believe that. No,
1: not at
2: all. It's, and you know what else? I go in those people's houses like they're putting on that front, but I've seen everything and nobody's getting it right all the time. They're just pretending.
0: (laughs) Pretending. This is good. This is a good way to start for us because I think this is a challenging topic and something that parents, I think, feel very embarrassed about. And we'll get to that. But I know you talk a lot about hyperparenting in your book. I would love for you to talk more about how, you know, I I use epidemic in quotes, but really how is it affecting our kids' behavior? Because we hear about helicopter parenting or, you know, or whatever we want to call it. But we don't hear a lot about what it does to kids.
1: Can you share more about that? And is hyperparenting the same as helicopter parenting? Or, yeah. Or something different. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah,
2: I actually think it is all the same. I think helicopter parenting has a pejorative tone, and you know, it was like those people are helicoptering. But the thing is, we're all helicoptering now, and so maybe that's why we can call it hyperparenting. It's it's just the expectation for parents is very different, even though. You know, there are more two parent working households and single parents and um, our kids are doing more. We are expected as parents to do something with our kids all the time. You know, like, for example, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out like in the last year with some new recommendations about how much screen time kids should have. And they said that very young kids could have one to two hours, but they should be doing it with their parents. Yeah. And I'm thinking, no, (laughs) the whole point of watching baby Einstein for me was so that I could have 30 minutes or 26 minutes to like clean up the kitchen or to shower, shower, (laughs) like whatever it is. Like, I just don't think those 26 minutes are vital to my child's success. I'm sorry. That's my personal opinion. I think we should all use this stuff as guidelines. You know, schools are expecting us to be in there all the time. You're supposed to be at every one of your kids' games all the time. My parents didn't come to all my games. They came to some, and it was special, and it was awesome. But now if you miss a game, it's like, oh, is your son going to be okay? Yes, he's going to be okay. It's just one game. So I think that we're all in this kind of syndrome. And the thing is our kids get very used to this constant attention. And when they don't have the constant attention either because we have other kids, we have a job, we have to make a phone call, we're not feeling well. You know, they get upset and they want to find this attention. So unfortunately, they'll find it in ways that are less desirable and more annoying. And so I think that, you know, we're kind of all in this place where we're giving, 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 and it's not really any fun. And I think it's turning our kids into slight monsters, if I can say that.
1: (laughs) You can (laughs) say it. (laughs) How do you differentiate, though, between kids that really have behavioral problems and kids who are just misbehaving? Right. So the thing is,
2: even kids that have real behavioral problems or even that are on the spectrum Have ADHD that have a diagnosis. Ignora can be really helpful with them because even those kids are getting lots of attention that they should not get for their inappropriate behaviors. What we want to do is give our attention to our kids when they're doing great. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to notice them doing well. Sometimes we forget to do that. We're just so busy doing discipline and saying no and correcting and don't sit like that and all this stuff that we forget to notice. So it's kind of just a shift. We want to give the kids all the attention that they need and crave, but we want to do it when they're doing positive behaviors. And honestly, just one little tip, ignore it is I didn't make it up. I've kind of reinvented a classic behavioral psychology concept called um, extinction. And so it's very well researched. It works in lots of settings with lots of different kids, some with some very severe um, behavioral issues, but Often, if they have severe behavioral issues, I'll say, you know what, you should also do this in conjunction with a therapist.
1: Got it. You know, I'm also wondering if you see a difference in how this works if you are a parent of a single child or if you have... You know, many children in the household because I see a distinctive difference. I have two girls. My boyfriend has two girls. We love having them all together as much as possible, but behavior really changes when there's four instead of one or two or even three around. Kristen, as you know, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I always have so, four around.
0: Um, so, so it's yeah. pretty
1: easy for us to kind of ignore bad behavior in part because it's taking away from the entire group if one kid is melting down. But I'm wondering about parents when they have a you know just one kid. Do you find that they are they more apt to? coddle the kids? Do they not need to use this as much? Like, how does it differ in different kinds of households? Um, it does differ, but everybody kind of still needs it. The problem with, you know, when you have four or five
2: kids or, or you have twins is even if you ignore the behavior, if one of the kids reinforces the behavior, that's just as good. So if the kid's being silly and the brothers and sisters are all laughing, doesn't matter if you're ignoring it he's getting all that attention from the siblings so um it can be more challenging in that way and then you know only children are used to getting a lot of attention you know their their parents one and only and so it can actually be very freeing for a parent to be able to say like actually in this moment I do not have to provide you endless amounts of attention because you're not being pleasant you know and so I'm going to ignore you until you are being pleasant And then I'm going to re-engage right away. So I think that it kind of works across the board, even though it may feel differently. There are complications on either side, I think.
0: I would love to know about negotiation, because I think parents understand that it's not great. Like, theoretically, we know that you shouldn't negotiate with your children. But what I found fascinating in your discussion of it was that the kid always wins. So whether there is a negative response or a positive response, they always win, which is why it doesn't work, right? Right.
2: I mean, I had someone call me the other day and and he said, you know, I am so proud of myself. My kid wanted another whole episode of a show. And I said no. And I stayed firm. And in the end, I just let him watch two clips on YouTube. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. So that was not a win. Um, yeah, he gets five more minutes or 30 minutes. He'll take the five minutes. But what happens when parents negotiate is that kids learn that everything is negotiable. And they start to negotiate everything. So at bedtime, two books becomes three books. It becomes five more minutes or one more story. It becomes, you know, more television time, more screen time. And then do I have to eat all five carrots? Can't I just have three? You know, everything. And you know what? Honestly, that's just exhausting and tiring. And not everything is negotiable. So sometimes parents just want to say, no, this is dinner and that's it. Or they want to say it's time to turn it off and that's it. And every time they negotiate, they basically are teaching their kids that, you know what? aim high, you'll get something, you won't get what you're asking for, but you'll probably get something. And so that whole experience, I think is really rough on parents. And the truth of the matter is, you know, whenever you negotiate, the kid obviously always wins, because you already said something, you already said no to cookies, or you already said one cookie. So anything that happens after that is more. So it's already a win for the Ah. kid. Sometimes they don't get what they want, but they've (laughs) gotten lots of attention, lots of discussion. So Unfortunately, providing any kind of reward or benefit for behavior that we don't wanna see is making that behavior happen more often. Negotiation, just to me, leads down a bad path. Say yes if you wanna say yes. You know, if if you have time for an extra five minutes, give it to them. If they have time for a story, give it to them. Just say yes right from the beginning. But once you say no or once you put in, you know, you say only two stories, then that's what you really have to follow through. Even if you realize afterwards, uh, oh, actually, we probably had more time. Don't do it.
1: That, that's a really smart point. And I just want to highlight that because I think sometimes as parents or often as parents, our knee jerk instinct is to say no, yes. even though we will say yes. Exactly. You say no it's almost like wishful thinking, like no, no stories tonight. You know, you're going to, you know, you're going to lose. And it really kind of makes you pause and say yes, right out of the gate so that you're not Not setting up these false expectations and teaching them negotiation and I just want to put a fine point on that I think it's really smart because I do that too I'll be like okay bedtime right now and I know that means in 40 minutes because there's gonna be running around and cuddling and questions and brushing teeth so I think for me as well I need to stop myself and say what I mean right up front and not work my way there I think too
2: like (laughs) what's really helpful for parents is to know like I'm also like that I'm a big no first whereas my husband's probably more of a yes first. And that balances out. But when he's not here and I say no, sometimes I'm like, why did I say no? So it's like you kind of have to know yourself. You have to know, like, what are the behaviors that are triggering you for your kids? You know, like for me, whining maybe doesn't bother me, might bother you more or fidgeting at the table might make me crazy, might make someone else not crazy. So you kind of have to know where your triggers are, because that's where you're really giving the attention for the behaviors that you don't want to see. And so you kind of have to think about that, I think, a little bit ahead of time so you can stop yourself. And you don't make that mistake. And the other thing I wanted to say is that parents are human beings and they're not on their game 100% all the time. Sometimes they're tired. Sometimes they don't feel well. Sometimes they're stressed. Sometimes they're unhappy. And so during those times, we have to give ourselves a break and say, you know what, I'm just giving in. Have a half hour of TV. That's OK. Like, you know what, we're doing a uh, long bedtime tonight because I just I'm, I'm exhausted, whatever it is. But, you know, give yourself a break. Realize that you're a human being. You're not going to be able to every time do it exactly the way you want to. But think about that ahead of time and just be like, you know what, I'm exhausted. I'm giving in. I'm not even going to say no. More yes. I think that. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: I needed to hear that. I know. I think I, my kids would be excited about it. And overall, it makes. us feel better. I feel better when I'm able to say yes, as opposed to saying no, no, and then giving in. I don't like that feeling. And I can imagine that there are a lot of other parents out there. Catherine, can you talk a little bit about yelling? You know, I um, have done this thing where I wear these wristbands on my wrist. I don't know if you've read that or seen that go around social media just as a visual cue. If I start to feel like I'm raising my voice or I get to the point of um, yelling, I move one over and it's worked really well for me. But I would love for you to just talk about why yelling sucks so much. And what's a better approach? Because I think so many parents were stressed out. We're tired. We're a combination of both of those things. And as much as we don't want to yell, sometimes it feels like that's the only way for us to get our point across.
2: Yeah. So here's the thing about yelling. It's just like a temper tantrum for grownups. You know, we're frustrated and angry and we yell. And even if, you know, our kids are moving at that point or they're doing what it is we want, we just feel better just getting it out But the problem is, number one, it's providing attention for our kids. And so not only that, like some kids want to get a rise out of us. You know, they're pushing our buttons so that we get frustrated, like, a toddler or a teen who isn't getting his way is angry and they want you to be angry too. And so they're pushing, pushing, pushing. And you finally yell, they're like, woohoo, yes, that is amazing. <laughs> it's not effective. So that's like the number one thing is that you're just reinforcing the behavior that you don't want to see. And also, it doesn't resolve anything. You usually feel bad afterwards or spent, you know, it's like a momentary. Yes. And then it's like, oh, no, that's not how I really wanted to parent. Yeah. And then, you know, studies show that it doesn't actually improve behavior. So it's like trying to realize when you're getting to that point and then also like learning other tools. So I think a lot of times parents are yelling because they're out of tools at that particular moment. And so sometimes if you've had a bad day or, you know, you didn't parent the way you wanted to, like spend some time that night thinking about, okay, where did I go wrong? Where might I have done something different? Where might I have walked away? That's the one good thing about ignore it. There's no reinforcement. So there's no yelling. So you're not doing any damage. And the truth is you're not really ignoring your kids. You're listening very carefully because the second they stop, whatever that behavior is, you're going to re-engage them right away like it didn't happen. So... I think that yelling, it's, it's a short-term game, but in the end, it's honestly, it's really just reinforcing the behaviors that we don't want to
1: see. And it makes us feel bad and our kids. So since you mentioned the book, well, Chris and I both have it and it's fantastic. And we want all of our listeners- with kids. There are a few that don't have kids and probably don't need this. Although maybe they, I don't know, maybe they have like a partner in their life. That <laughs> or a <work> co-worker. <laughs> but we want them to get the book. It's fantastic. How would you describe it in a nutshell? Like what are the cliff notes for ignore it and the overall premise? This technique. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: the premise is that, you know, parents are rewarding kids for their misbehavior. So whining, complaining, tantruming, pushing buttons, negotiating, all of that stuff kids get a benefit from that behavior. Either they get our attention or they actually get something tangible. They get more of something or they get out of doing something like they run around the house and so then there's no time for a bath or, you know, they whine and complain about dinner and they get something else or they get out of eating it. All of those behaviors are very effective for kids. So Ignore It basically teaches parents to ignore those behaviors, stop reinforcing them, and when kids realize that a tantrum doesn't get them more television, like, they'll give it up. Like, they're very savvy. So anything that's annoying, we should just ignore in our kids. And any of those like whining, complaining, tantruming behaviors momentarily ignore it, but you're really selectively listening. And as soon as they stop, you re-engage them right away. So it's not an excuse to go in the other room, read a magazine and just kind of ignore our kids for the rest of the day. It's very, very briefly. So the kids get the message. Their behavior is no longer effective. Gee, I should probably figure out another way to act, or there's no other alternative dinner coming. I might as well just eat this one or be hungry, but this is it.
1: Well, I like the clarification that ignore it is not referring to Parenting. <laughs> Ignore <laughs> them for the entire it's day. Referring to behaviors <laughs> that you don't want to reward by giving attention to it. Yeah, exactly. Like I wanted it to be
2: something simple that you could remember, but we're not actually ignoring our kids. Like so parents have said, Can I just go in the other room? Not really. You know, you have to listen because the second they're done, you want to get right back in there.
0: Well, you want to reinforce the good stuff that comes after. You want to reinforce, you know, they stopped tantruming and then they decided to let's just say it's over dinner or whatever. They started to eat. That's what you want to say oh, that's awesome. I love how you're, you know, sitting at the table and eating your food
1: or whatever it is. So you do have to be paying attention. Yeah. And one of the best toddler tips that I got, it's funny, once your kids hit like tweens and teens, it's really hard to remember, but this one stayed with me, was that kids often just need to be heard. And I remember, I don't know how you feel about this, but one thing that really worked for me, Catherine, was when my kids were little, they would, you know, throw something and say, I'm really mad. And I would repeat it back to them. You're really mad. And they'd say, I hate this. And I'd say, you really hate this. And I would just repeat back to them what they were saying just to validate their feelings. I wasn't addressing it or trying to make them feel better or coddling them. I was just letting them know I was hearing them. And it usually went away.
2: Yeah, I absolutely love that. I think a lot of times we don't validate our kids' feelings, even if they're angry at us or they're upset because they're irrational. They're feeling an actual feeling. And I think that's terrific. You know, I think empathy goes a long way. You know, just because a kid is very frustrated with a sibling doesn't mean he's going to get what he wants. But at least we can say like, you know what, that is really frustrating or wow, that must be really hard or wow, you look really sad. And for a lot of kids, they actually your kid was verbalizing how they are feeling. A lot of kids They don't have the words for it. They just explode. You say, wow, you look really, really angry. Or, you know, is that how you're feeling? Yeah. Something to help them put words to it because, you know, they just have this feeling they can't deal with. Yeah,
1: And and by the way, it does work for tweens as well when they're pouting and slamming the door. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, empathy is empathy. You know, it's so important. And I I think of
0: like when I'm angry and the last thing I want anyone to do is tell me to not be angry or to stop crying or yelling or whatever it is like that never, ever works for me. (laughs) So like I just can't imagine. it's going to work for a seven-year-old. Of course, this technique I've tried with my six-year-old and it's worked really well, but it's been in our home. And so I'm wondering how this goes. I'm imagining, you know, we're in the middle of the grocery store and my kid flips her lid. What do you do then? Because that scares me. I'm not even going to lie. I think it scares a lot of parents. Yeah. Parenting in public is
2: really hard these days because Everybody is judging us, like really, truly. Like, it's not like I'm just making that up. Everybody is. I mean, even think about it how you've looked at other people in various moments without knowing the whole story or just being frustrated in our own lives or whatever it is. Everybody has something to say about how someone else parents. And so then you have people from older generations, then you have checkout people staring at you. You know, it's really difficult. But what happens is because we're so afraid of being embarrassed in public, we parent in ways that are just reinforcing our kids' bad behavior. You know, they start to fuss a little bit and so we give them our cell phone or our iPad in the restaurant or at the doctor's office or they start getting a little antsy in the um, supermarkets. So we open up a treat or a snack and we give it to them. So we do all these things because we're really concerned about what other people are going to think. But the thing is at the end of the day, like you are taking home your kid like whatever bad behavior you reinforce out in the world you're stuck with that behavior right back at home or all the time with those kids and so like whenever i'm out and i see a parent who's really struggling my heart really goes out because i know how hard that is to do that in public you know if you have a screaming kid on an airplane or you know anywhere in public you could just watch the people around that kid and you can see people judging but the thing is I really empower parents to say like, so what? Those are not your people. Anyone who's judging you for a, your worst parenting moment is not your people. Like you need just a couple people that can understand that parenting is hard and that you're doing the best you can. And sometimes that means letting your kid scream in public until they're done and then you can move on. Now, obviously, like if you're in a restaurant and that screaming is disturbing other people, then I would take that kid outside and let him scream and have his moment and ignore it until he's done and then welcome him back into the restaurant. But I do think that parents have to toughen up a little bit and remember like, they're stuck with this kid. You know, I mean like pleasing someone else in the supermarket is not going to help you long term. It's just going to make you feel better in that 5 minutes. And you know what? The more you do it, the stronger you feel. The more you're like, you know what? So what? This is my kid. I remember when I was, had my first kid and I was really struggling with breastfeeding. I had so many people ask me, "Oh, are you breastfeeding?" Thinking like, what is it to you? Like, what? How? <laughs> Why is, do you I, care? What do you, you care? Like, <laughs> it you? You know, it just served to, you know, make me feel bad. And you know, of course, as I became more experienced and got a little handle on everything, I felt more comfortable. But I think you know, we we all need to be a little more thoughtful to how difficult parenting is, and we all need to put a hand out to other people. Be, just give that look, like I've been there, or I hear you, or can I help <laughs> you hold those groceries while you deal with that toddler whatever it is. But I feel like we should do more to help other parents and
0: give them more support instead of judging. We all do it. You know, I was just on the Today Show a few weeks ago and Renee Seiler from Good Enough Mother, we got asked that question in a way. And her whole thing was, you know, you're not going to see these people ever again, probably, you know, and there's always the risk of some idiots going to like pull out their cell phone and put it on video. So let's not think about that on social media. This is the
1: horrible mom who told my kid not to go up the slide backwards. You're not going to see them again. (laughs)
0: Now, of course, my rule, the airplane kind of anything goes because I feel like we're in a small enclosed space and I really don't want my kid freaking out and screaming there. And like you said, the restaurant, but I love the idea of empowering parents. And we've always said, right, Liz, like we've said, it takes a village. Yeah. If you see someone struggling, like even just like a knowing look of like, dude, Been there, you know, this sucks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, you've got this can go a long way. I, I think the thing that's so great about what you're saying is that we have to give each other a break and we have to give ourselves a break too because parenting is so wrought with guilt throughout and along those lines you know we always look back at things we could have done differently or things we could have done better and and to your point as you get older I think you lose that a bit you know you you start to feel better about your choices or we always joke that nobody walks into the first day of kindergarten and is able to point out which kid should have been breastfed longer yeah yes (laughs) like you know like all the choices that are stressful when you have toddlers it kind of goes away however for those those of our listeners who have older kids or tweens or teens, and they're having these same kinds of issues, but they weren't able to start implementing some of your recommendations when their kids were little, what can they do now? Like what can we do now to implement this technique for older kids so that we don't feel bad about having missed the boat? Yeah. One thing that's
2: great is parents can always make a change and it's never too late. And I think that this works as well with teens as it does with toddlers, because honestly, teens and toddlers are very similar. They both think that they should have more freedom and more independence than they're actually ready for. And that's very frustrating for them. And so that causes a lot of tantrums The tantrums might look a little bit different, but the moodiness and disrespectful behavior, um, And some of the things parents have to deal with, you know, angry teens when they can't have what they want, it's very similar to a toddler not being able to do what he wants or she wants. And so it's never too late. So I would say with teens, stay strong because they will really give you a run for your money and they will (laughs) try and wear you down because they could be meaner and stronger and last longer than a toddler in some of their tantrums. But you have to hang in there. So for using ignore it, like for even with my kids, you know, can I go? sleep at so-and-so's house or can I stay up till 11 and the answer is no and so then you get a why always give a reason I don't think there's anything wrong with explaining a reason but after that we're done I've said no I've given you the why we're done but then the kid starts with the but why can't I (laughs) but you said and everyone else it can turn mean and it can turn really difficult as a parent that's hard to handle once you see that happening you're done You ignore it completely. The kid will get even more angry. Then you know it's working. That means that they're getting the message that you're not going to change, you know, that it's over. And after that, they're done. They will stop it completely because, again, there's no point. Like, if I'm really not getting to go to Sally's house, then I might as well stop with this, you know, like I'm only going to go on. And if I'm not making you mad, which is really my goal, then there's no point. So ignore it. But the thing is, we can't ignore our teens all the time. Like, they'll just be in their room. They'll have their headphones all the time and they're lost to us so we really can only ignore the negative behaviors but we really have to work hard On engaging them on the other times when they're not being, Uh, you know, horrible. Yeah.
0: So like when you said, when that negative behavior stops, it sounds like especially with tweens and teens, we need to really dig in and reinforce that positive behavior and connect with them maybe more than we would with the littler ones, because they're already in a way disconnecting from us. If there is a similarity with toddlers and teens, which I agree with you, I think the difference is that they are, you know, finding more independence naturally and disconnecting by choice. Right, and so sometimes parents kind of just give into that. They're like, "Oh, they're they're moving
2: on," um, but then you know you feel like lost and sad, and there's like a, like a very prolonged morning time. Whereas if you can ignore some of the miserable behaviors, but really engage in the other time, even if that means you have to fake it sometimes because you're still really angry, but re-engage, find a way to meet the kid halfway drag him to family dinner even if he's complaining the entire way he'll still, eat and he'll still be part of the family but a lot of times we let kids out of stuff because they're kind of cranky but that's exactly what they want like so that again is rewarding their behavior they're like gee i don't really want to go visit grandma so let me be really obnoxious and then the parents like fine you can stay here score ah. um kids. I think we've got to make them join us even when they're miserable because eventually they won't be. And I think we need to dig in, as you say, and really try and forge a relationship with them because they are disconnecting and they are, you know, their friends are becoming more important and they're getting ready for the world. And that's all good. But you want to build your support system before they are out in the world. This is great. Well, that's great. And
1: I, I really appreciate the reminder that as parents, we can always reset so it's never too late yes. to do what you might have done. Yeah, you can
0: totally push a reset button. Thank goodness for that. So, Catherine, your book is Ignore It. And you can find it at your favorite bookstore, wherever you buy books online, hopefully in person, you know. And if you can't find it at your local bookshop, ask them to get it. But where can people find you if they've got questions or comments and they want more information about what you do? Where, where can we send people?
1: So I'm at thefamilycoach.com. And on Facebook and Twitter, I'm at The Family Coach. Sounds good. Thank you, Catherine. And you're going to stick around for Cool Picks of the Week, Yeah. Of course. Well, we'll be back with that right after this.
0: So, Liz, I am really excited to talk about our new sponsor, Learn With Homer. They're back again. And wow, the the service they offer is so awesome for parents and for
1: kids. They are. They're one of my favorite all-time learn-to-read apps. It's for kids aged 2 to 8. And what's so smart about it is they know that kids learn best when they're pursuing their passions and exploring their interests and having fun, as do we all, right? Not just kids. (laughs) Yes. And so it actually taps into kids' passions and interests. So if you like ballerinas or robots or trucks, they'll create dedicated learning pathways for up to four kids on one subscription based on their reading stage and their interests and their progress. That's like my house right there. Four kids. With four different interests. With four different interests. Yeah. I mean, if you love reading about trucks, why should you be forced to read about princesses or vice versa, right? So kids can read about what they love and it's going to get them more excited to progress to the next levels. And in fact, here's the data nerd point for you, Kristen. I'm ready.
0: I'm so ready. According
1: to a recent study conducted by the former U.S. Assistant Secretary of Education, Dr. Susan B. Newman. It turns out that using the Homer app just 15 minutes a day actually increased early reading scores by 74%. Well, I'm
0: not a mathematician, but that's a lot of percents. Maybe
1: we need math with Homer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's fixed. So listen, though, you get more than just this app. You get opportunities for learning offline. So when your kids are done with the screen time, they get hundreds of printable worksheets and mazes that parents have access to. And you can track your kids' progress and get this you can listen to a recording of your
1: kids kids reading their books. I wish they had that when my kids were two. That would have been such a lovely keepsake. Wait, your kids were reading it (laughs) too?
0: My kids (laughs) have so...
1: (laughs) They were reading Shakespeare, thanks to Learn with Homer. (laughs) (laughs) Man, we got a lot of catching up to do. We need to subscribe right now. Well, hey, Homer is for kids 2 to 8, so there must be 2-year-olds out there learning. Well,
0: I know how well your kids read already, and I have to say I wouldn't be surprised. But listen, we have a great deal. Do not miss out on this. So if you go to learnwithhomer.com slash coolmompics, you can try out this app for free for two months. Regular people in the world only
1: get 30 days. The little people. (laughs) But the fancy spawned listeners. you get two free months yes. when you go to learnwithhomer.com slash coolmompics. All
0: right. Well, it's time for Cool picks sweet. the Cool fixes of the week. Catherine, we can't wait. We want to hear what you've got for us. Okay. So I'm going to tell you about a new book series that I recently learned of that I absolutely
2: love. It's called Fix It Friends. And it's by Nicole Carr, but it's spelled K-E-A-R. And grownups might know her book that she wrote for grownups, but this is a kid series. And it's for generally around kids like six to nine years old. And basically it's four friends, a brother and a sister, and two of their friends who help kids with big problems like bullying, um, real phobias, um, not being able to read, like death in the family. And the kids solve these kids' problems, but in a very true, appropriate way that would actually help a kid who really had a big phobia
1: or a death in the family. Oh, that's great. This is
0: awesome. I'm looking right now and I love this. We
1: are always looking for books that really help teach kids all different things about the world. So this is like right up our alley. And it's also great for parents because in the back, there are a
2: lot of resources. So again, if your kid is really struggling with this, it's not just like, here's a great story. Here are actual resources that can help you as a parent and your kid get through this. Also, it's so multicultural. There's so much diversity in this book. It's funny. The brother and sister, they bicker like a little, but they actually love each other. So it's not one of those where like the little sister is awful. You know, it's just all around. This is like super series. My son is 10. He's a little too old for them, but he read it and also loved it. Um, so I highly recommend. There's, I think there's four out now, and a couple more coming out.
0: Awesome! I am so excited to get these. For I have an eight year old who is perfect for this. In fact, I'm adding it to my wish list right now. I'm multitasking, Liz, <laughs>
1: <laughs> as one does. <laughs> so, Kristen, how about you? What's your cool pick this week?
0: Okay, so mine's a guilty pleasure. You know, after you've ignored those behaviors and you have some extra time to yourself, <laughs> see what I did there. Um, Insecure on HBO is my favorite. This this season in particular, it's the second season of the show by Issa Rae. It is fantastic. Um, it is. Uh, it centers around a black woman and uh, just the way that uh, race relations, culture, relationships, um, both friendships and love relationships are portrayed. I feel it's just it's just fantastic. I love it. I'm probably old for the audience. I imagine um, this. Is, I haven't
1: seen it. You've, oh, you got to watch it. You're one up on me. You have to watch
0: it. It is funny and fresh you know I wonder if people have been describing it as like the black girls or something or and I imagine it's getting compared to sex in the city girls annoyed the crap out of me (laughs) this makes me laugh it makes me sad for the way things are in our country um, when it comes to race but it also excites me in the way that they're discussing it and they're dealing with it and showing relationships so anyway insecure on HBO watch it if you haven't seen the first season definitely watch it you can jump in in the second season but you'll be glad you watched the first one too
1: So anyway, that's my cool pick. Liz. Adding to Q. Add Add to to Q. Q. (laughs) All right, Liz, what do you have? Okay, so my cool pick. So Catherine, I don't know if like Kristen and I, are you a word nerd? Do you like grammar humor? Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. She wrote (laughs) a book. So
1: we did a post recently all about great kids' t shirts. You know, you see like a lot of t shirts with Marvel characters and you know, sports teams and all that's great, but we did a collection of eleven kids' t shirts that promote a love of learning and the importance of education. And I I love all of them. my very favorite. It's a cafe press shop. You can find it if you go to Cool Mom Picks and look up t-shirts that promote a love of learning and the importance of education. You'll find it. Anyway, it's all about jokes about commas. Like, you remember um, Eats, Shoots, and Leaves, the book? Yes. And the whole point was that like, if you didn't use commas, it's right. describing a panda bear, right? Who eats shoots, bamboo shoots, and, and leaves. And if you do use commas, then it's about somebody who came into a restaurant and shot it up and ate and left. <laughs> so this is the same kind of idea. It is. Is a commas save lives T shirt, and what it says without commas is I like cooking my family and my pets. <laughs> <laughs> it's a kid's shirt. Now, obviously, if you put in commas, it would say I like cooking, comma my family, comma and my pets. But without them, I like cooking my family and my pets. <laughs> commas save lives, and so I, I have to say full disclosure. We did do this post on behalf of Learn with Homer, who is our awesome sponsor, but that's not why I'm picking it. It's because I love this post so much and I love this shirt so much. And it's true, folks. Commas save lives. <laughs> <laughs> I want it in an adult size. They do. They have all different <laughs> sizes. It's re- it's great. It's really funny. Awesome. All right.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spawn. Thank you to Katherine Perlman, the author of Ignore It, and at thefamilycoach.com for joining us today and
1: imparting all this wisdom that we're going to use a lot <laughs> <laughs> yes and huge thanks to our engineer John Bowen who makes us sound so much better than we do in person seriously if you met us in person you'd be like you don't sound anything like you do on the show well that's because of John Bowen mostly
0: and we love hearing from you please leave us a review on iTunes and make sure to subscribe to our podcast and download our episodes you might not know this but we're going to tell you right now when you do that when you subscribe and when you download it actually helps other people find us and that is something that we really appreciate so thanks for doing that and of course you can email us
1: spawned at coolmompics.com tweet us at coolmompics or drop us a comment on Facebook we always get our best episode suggestions from our listeners and our readers it's so true. whenever we hear from you it makes us very happy and hey we'll write you or tweet you back yep so thanks again for joining us this is Liz this is Kristen have a great day bye